y'all. It's Rosie on the house. The outdoor living segment. Walking around the back of the barn here to see if we can find Mr. Harper. Maybe napping on a hay bale back here or something around here. No, I'm up going. It's nice out. Oh, man, is it? Woo! It is delicious out there. 15 degrees cooler this morning. Something happened. There we go. Okay, now I'm here. 15 degrees 15 cooler. degrees cooler this morning than two mornings ago. I think Monday it was 110. In the morning? No. <laughs> High. No, thank goodness. Uh, and it's only going to be 90s something today. I saw 80 degree highs in the 80s by next weekend. Knock on wood. 70s, 60s at night. My favorite part Luscious. Yeah, baby. All of this aside from just personal enjoyment. Hmm. When I get home yesterday, the kids have been out playing since about 3 o'clock. And they continue until after about dark when we're done with chores and go inside. Everybody's asleep at 8. Yeah. (laughs) They can actually burn up some energy outside. You you feel like, yeah, I walked out out of a a meeting yesterday afternoon, middle of the day, and walked outside and went, oh. This is nice. It's not so bad out. Liking this. Yeah. Gotta plants, love this time of year. Plants and soil have got to be thinking the same thing. Oh, well, the plants well. are going to recover. You know, they're going to look just instantaneously better. And of course, it couldn't happen at a, you know, just a better time. Middle of September, when we're getting ready to plant fall vegetables and winter lawns and trees and shrubs, it's the best time to plant virtually everything in in here in the low desert. So. Thank goodness, you know we we kind of we kind of earned this one. It was a <laughs> tough summer, I think. Maybe I'm just getting old, but uh, you know July and, and early part of August just kind of whooped my fanny. You know it was it was tough. Well, if you've got a garden landscape question, it's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie, for you, you can text questions to four one one nine two three, or you can send an email to info at rosyonthehouse.com. If you've got a little help with plant or insect identification, we can take a look and see if we can't help you identify what it is. And I keep meaning to bring you a picture, and I have got a weed that grows about that tall that when it takes over an area, it takes over. Mm-hmm. And it looks, it's like a little miniature, uh, oh, what do you call those, Italian cypress. You know, it grows in that same uniform, straight-up structure. But, man, it, when it gets around one of my tree wells, mm-hmm. you turn around, and it's consumed the entire tree well. Hmm. Is it kind of needly, kind of f- look like a pine a little bit, or is it? No. No? Okay. Maybe, I, maybe I'll have one of the kids, if they're listening, run out and take yeah, a picture of the, the, the pecan tree and send it to Daddy. Because <laughs> 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 I, I don't want to hit it hard because it grows – all of it's around all of my uh, my fruit trees and my nut trees. Where it's getting water, so, so I don't want to yeah. hit it hard with a yeah. a roundup because yeah. I, obviously I don't want to kill the tree. Yeah, so, man. Well, it might be one of those. Be better off if if are they really hard to pull or are they pretty well rooted? Very well rooted. Yeah, hmm. you pull them, they break off. They, you hardly get the root. Okay, I have to soak it for hours, and then get out there and pull it by hand and. Well, let's figure it out. So we don't want to, we don't want a forest or something out there we don't want. <laughs> it takes over. 
risk of. Anyway, if uh, we're here for you, the Arizona homeowner, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. We talked a little last time you were in about fall vegetable planting, and we were right up the time to start putting seeds in, or get, getting our soil ready to put the seeds in. Or I woke up, walked out the door this morning. I thought, man, we're ready. Yeah, uh, you know, of course, some people have been doing it. A lot of our a lot of our farmers are right in the throes of it. I mean, they've been planting uh, and getting ready. So now with these cooler nights, you know, if you haven't gotten your ground ready, boy, I'd jump on it and get it done here in the next week or two because it's it's time. You know, so we have this long list of things that you can start planting in the middle of September, most of which are, you know, are leafy type crops. So spinaches and lettuce and chard and kale and, you know, of course, the root crops, the, the onions, the radishes, beets, carrots, turnips. Um, and, and then, you know, there's some, um, unique things like, you know, the baking type squashes, you know, the acorns and the hubbards and the bigger gourd type squashes that, that you can grow in the winter time. So lots and lots and lots of stuff, you know, usually size of your garden is kind of the limiting factor when it comes to your fall and winter garden. And it's, it's, it's a long season, so you can kind of multi-crop things. You could have things coming on, plant a, plant a few, wait a month or so, plant another one, so you've got some stuff, you know, coming on behind it. <clears throat> because the things we're going to plant now are, are going to are going to be harvestable and thriving in the garden, you know, clear till warm weather. <clears throat> so that's the nice thing about it. And started now, you you will have these ready for your Thanksgiving gathering. Oh, absolutely, especially if you take it. This is great timing of these pretty warm days, maybe even still a little bit hot, but the nights start cooling off. So that soil stays warm. The air's warm but not hot. Things root really quick. Things grow really quick. You get it all up and established before we get cold and things slow way down. So it, it's a it's a great little timing right now for vegetables, especially the winter-type crops that we're talking about. Going into the fall, this is still citrus fertilizing season. I mean, I know we're past the we're certainly holiday, past but Labor not. Day by a couple of weeks. But boy, citrus of all the years that have needed it probably could use it this <laughs> this fall to recover. There's a lot of you know superficial damage. I mean, it's not going to hurt the trees, but a lot of sunburned leaves. You know, that tough late June, July, those 120 degree days that we had. Um, you know. They, they, they suffered a bit, and so helping them recover uh, is a good thing. You don't want to push them real hard, and you don't want to feed them probably much later than maybe early October. But, uh, but I would get on feeding just about everything in your landscape to help it recover. The only thing we may not want to feed now and probably shouldn't is a, is a lawn that you're going to overseed with a winter lawn here in the new, next few weeks. Can you overseed too early? Absolutely. Is, um, is it still too early? I think for I home for homeowners, yes. Now you're seeing scalping going on, uh, particularly golf, some of the golf courses and some of the commercial guys. Um, but if you're a golf course and October one, you have winter visitors showing up and they want to play play golf and they're going to pay, you know, a lot of money to play on your course. You want it to be ready and nice and beautiful. You know, you have to cheat and do it a little earlier than we otherwise would recommend. If you're a commercial guy and you've got you've got 100 lawns to put in, a lot of times those guys will start scalping 
now. They won't be planting the lawn. So you may see scalping, which still we don't recommend necessarily, but I understand if you, know, you can't do 100 of them in a week. <laughs> you know, so the, the ideal week when it's ready to do it, you can't just get them all done. Um, so they have to start scalping earlier than we're not. If you've got one lawn, it's your home, you, and you want to do it, October the 15th is still the, the magic time frame. I mean, it's just, just perfect. It's still going to be warm enough. Seed's going to germinate quickly, but it's not going to be so hot that the Bermuda grass is just going to come right, come right back. Because that's what's going to happen, and the golf courses know it. They're going to scalp. They're going to seed. And that Bermuda grass, it's still so warm, it's going to grow right back with that ryegrass that's coming up. Well, they've got the ability to take care of that later in the winter when we get a frost and all of a sudden that Bermuda does go dormant and it's mixed in there with, with the ryegrass. The homeowner is going to have a, a cruddy-looking lawn if they do that too early. Plus, it's just hard on the grass, hard on the turf. That plant doesn't want to go dormant. You're forcing it. You're stressing it, pruning it back hard. It'd be just like going out there and taking those bushes out there those, and cutting them to the ground. Here in you know in the middle of September, they're still wanting to grow and put on new growth. Um, it's just not a good idea. Then you're going to put a competitor right on top of it <laughs> and grow this competitor in amongst it uh, while it's still trying to build up carbohydrates and store up its winter fat, so to speak, so it can go dormant, so it can go to sleep for the winter and stay alive until it's ready to come out of its dormancy. So we remove its ability to do that. And then we have these stressed-out lawns come June or July next year um, that because we scalped too early or thatched or whatever too, too darn early in the year. So now, long, long answer to your question, but, <laughs> but basically wait till the 15th of October if you're a homeowner. So you, I guess you indirectly answered what I was really looking for. If I wanted to have this up by October 31st for a fall party at the house, I'd probably— First week of October. Uh, it would still be oh, yeah. okay for everyone oh, yeah. to walk it's, on by then. Because it's going to come up in five to seven days. You're going to be mowing it. So if you did it the first, you're going to be mowing it by the 15th. You're going to mow it again the 22nd. You're going you're to have three mowings in. Okay. It'll, and it, after the second or third mowing, it's very well established. No problem having traffic on it. doesn't meet the magic day, but if you're trying to get ready for yeah, a specific get, you know, event, absolutely. you can cheat it for you, know, you wouldn't want to wait till the 15th and have only mowed it maybe once. And then it's going to be, you know, you're going to be watering it a ton. It's going to be wet out there. So I'd, I'd cheat up a couple of weeks. Now, have you seen these new electric line of garden tools? Briggs & Stratton has one. The rechargeable one. A, units? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I have. I saw Steel has a line now. Yes, they do. Have you tried any of them? Uh, early on, the Briggs uh, or the Black & Decker uh, model, I had a, I have a hedge trimmer and mm-hmm. I had a, a, a line string trimmer i really liked it um the the early early ones though the batteries just didn't you know i mean Mm -hmm. i think after about four or five months the battery went bad and i had to have that redone and and well a new battery for one of those is about the price of (laughs) at that point was about the price of a new uh, (laughs) gas powered one (laughs) no 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 but the price of a new recharge so it gotcha um, but i i like the concept and i would guess these some of these new technologies and much higher voltage and in the steel products that you know they they've got to be pretty good. I think I'm pretty tempted to go with one. I live in 20 miles from a gas station and going to do your lawn and start your chores and find out that all the gas has been used in the quads during the week is 
it, mm-hmm. it, it sets you back on your your chore deadline. I'm I'm really tempted. So it's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. And a beautiful, crisp, refreshing Arizona Saturday morning to you all. Thank you for joining us here at Rosie on the House. Got a text question here as we were talking about grass. What's the difference between uh, or, or the benefits or when would you do a seeded ryegrass versus going and buying a rolled sod? Well, the beauty of, of ryegrass is that it does germinate from seed, which makes it a lot less expensive than having to plant sod. So it's a um, Bermuda grasses, the kind we plant here, are hybridized, so they are sterile. They don't produce a viable seed. So you have to you have to propagate them vegetatively, either with rolling out sod or cutting up sprigs or plugs or some something like that. Rye grasses will will come up from seed, and it's like it's just the the simple math is is that it's easier and cheaper to do it that way. However, it, what they will do is the sod companies here pretty quick will also overseed. So if you wanted to sod a lawn, if you had a new lawn or landscape project, and you wanted to put a lawn in, you have the benefit of being able to go out there and and plant your hybrid Bermuda grass lawn that has the ryegrass growing in it already. So you have a green lawn through the winter months instantaneously. Um, If all you wanted was a winter lawn, I suppose you could find some ryegrass or bluegrass sod somewhere, maybe a sod farm up in northern Arizona, but it really doesn't make any economic sense when a pound of seed will cover 100 square feet, roughly. And what's uh, a pound of seed? And a pound of seed might cost you... 25, 30 uh, bucks? Oh, no. Buck 50, 250, <laughs> you know, something like that. So let's just say $2 for a pound of seed. If you had a 2,000 square foot lawn, you'd need 20 pounds. You know, for under $50, you're going you're gonna to plant a 2,000 square foot lawn uh, in seed. So it, it doesn't make any sense to grow... For us in the desert here, when it's our temporary winter lawn to, to use us to put it as a sod. Plus, if you've got an existing lawn, you you can't sod over the top of mm-hmm. an existing lawn, <laughs> and that would be a that would be a mess. But now to mulch or not to mulch? Do you cover your seed? I cover the places that are thin or bare, or I have bad, or don't have the the ideal sprinkler coverage. It just you know there's some places almost in every lawn. Where you have a hot spot or a place where the maybe the sprinklers don't quite overlap or cover as good as they should, sometimes the edges along the sidewalk or the driveway because the concrete is hot and it's soaking up moisture, wicking it away from the lawn. Um, in any area that's a little thin or or a little bare, I certainly will cover with a light coating of some type of compost or mulch. Um, there's no doubt. Doing if you did the whole lawn, it speeds up the germination. Um, it'll give you a nicer, more even lawn when it comes in. Um, yeah, but it's not absolutely necessary. Now, when's your first fertilizer? Fertilizer feeding then? Typically, we want to put a little bit of stump, some type of starter fertilizer down with the seed. 
Um, so, you know, just a light feeding of a, of a new lawn starter or an organic type fertilizer, um, you know, the, uh, Turf pellets from Hickman's, the Fertilome new lawn starters, the 62020s, those types of products we'll put on with the seed. Um, because you're watering so much, you know, it's going to help that seed when it germinates and roots, it's going to help it get started. But because you're watering so much, it doesn't stay there a long time for that plant to grow. So after the second mowing, then we recommend starting your regular fertilizing program. So First mowing, we don't worry about it, but after the second mowing, it's pretty well established. Now we want to start feeding it. And, and what you really want to make sure you do is keeping that ryegrass or that cool season grass healthy and green going into cold weather. Because once it gets cold, even that grass will start to slow down. And if it frosts or freezes, it actually can yellow it out a little bit if it's not in a good healthy state. So every 30 to 45 days... Uh, an application of a good lawn food is a great idea through the growing season starting after the second mowing. We didn't get much of a frost last year, so we've got a bound to get one here soon. Well, it's been later. a couple of years, and you can start telling that by the number of people now that are wanting ficus again. <laughs> how how oh, yeah. fast we forget. Oh, yeah, ficus again and, <laughs> and uh, moringa trees, which are, you know, a, uh, everybody loves the, the, a lot of the vegetable gardeners. They like it because there's so many things you can do, and it's healthy. But very, very tropical. People wanting avocados. You know, we've we've forgotten a little bit that we'll catch one again one of these days, and <laughs> <laughs> then they'll realize why there isn't one of those in every front yard. Now, what about color? We're going into fall color. Good, good question. Yeah, uh, th- this is this is our glorious time when it comes to planting you know, color, you know, and for pots, for flower beds, for curb appeal, for uh, enjoyment, just for all that. So, you know, petunias and pansies and geraniums and alyssum and lobelia and, you know, bulbs like daffodils and tulips and iris and just the, the list is very, very long because it's all of the, all of the stuff that most places plant as their winter color or summer color. We plant it and it grows all winter. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie, for you to join the conversation. Texting is four one one nine two three during the broadcast. Or if you have a plant or insect identification, you can email pictures to info at rosieonthehouse.com. More after bottom of the hour news. Jay Harper, right after this. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie, for you. We talk a lot about taking care of plants. What about starting from scratch? You're starting to see building, new subdivisions going up, right. uh, complete redos of properties that are aged. Where where do you start in the design process? Well, start with a design. I mean, start with somebody that knows how to to design the landscape you know, and all its nuances, you don't have to do the whole design at one time. You have, if you have a budget or, you know, uh, you can do it in phases and stages, but if you have the design, just like, you know, building a house, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about building a house without having a set of plans or doing a room addition. Um, 
And the same applies to a landscape, you know, so make sure it's well thought out, whether you're just adding on or expanding it or remodeling it or, uh, you know, starting from scratch. Um, you, you, you want somebody who has the ability and the foresight to, to take your lifestyle and your desires and what you want to do and how you want to live and how you want to use your outdoor living space and, and make it work the right way. And, you know, frankly, there is no better value to expand living space than, than the outdoor part of it. You know, some pavers and landscape and lighting and maybe a little bit of a pergola or a slatted cover or something like that for a fraction of what it costs per square foot to build structure and, you know, add on a room addition. You know, you can do an outdoor living space, uh, you know, and use it. And, and we're, in the, we're in the outdoor business here. You know, I mean, you know, we just talked about go, being able to start going outside again. And I went to a house this morning on my way here and made a little call and they had their doors and windows open. And, you know, and here we are middle of September. So middle of September to about the middle of May next year, we, we're outside or can be outside as much as we're inside. So it just makes sense, you know, to have a nice barbecue area or outdoor kitchen or, you know, place where you can entertain and eat and and do all of that and it and the products and the and the uh the uh accessories and the things that we use to develop that just get better and better and better all the time but you want to have somebody plan it out for you you know there's a lot of people make a lot of mistakes when it comes to doing some of that and you want to try and alleviate that because especially if you start talking in hardscaping or it it can be a costly mistake and it can be easy to go to botanical gardens walk around town see uh, you'd mentioned golf courses earlier and think, oh gosh, that's got it's doing great here. That'll do great in my yard. Well, a lot of those places they've they've got professionals full time taking care of those plants to make sure they look like that. Correct. The microclimates, the soil conditions. There's a lot of factors that can come in. Yeah, if if you want to look at what, and this is a great time to do this, by the way, after we've gone through summer. Drive the neighborhood, drive, drive normal people's houses in normal subdivisions and see which plants have thrived and look the best. And use that as your, as your bones of your landscape, your foundation of your landscape, the, the trees, the shrubs, the vines that are permanent. Then you can play with pots and pockets and beds and planter areas. And, you know, that's what the resorts do. They'll take little areas and they change them out all the time. You know, they'll, they'll put something in there that's pretty, and if it only lasts a few months, you know, it's just a little pocket here and there or a bed in here. In the case of a resort, it might be a pretty big area because they've got the budget to do that. But you can, you can play with all kinds of cool stuff and have really pretty color beds and color plantings and containers and raised beds. But use the, the good old basic tough, hardy stuff that's going to do well here as the bones of your landscape first. And that's where it really takes somebody that knows what they're doing to plan that for you. Text is very busy this morning. You can tell people are just out enjoying the the beautiful weather and scape and, and atmosphere. Yep. And we've got a couple people, uh, one individual out plant shopping and wants to know what it means when it, it talks about light exposure, this individual plant's listed for six hours of direct sunlight. Wants to know, will it still be okay on the north side of my patio that doesn't get direct sunlight? Well, you know, sometimes those those little tags, and that's where it really pays to go to a 
a good independent garden center that can walk you through that? Because sometimes those tags are put on by a grower that might be in California or Florida or up north, and what they consider being able to tolerate full sun for six hours may not be Arizona full sun for six hours. So ultimately, or ideally, excuse me, what those tags are designed to do is say, okay, this plant probably at a minimum needs six hours of sunlight to perform properly. So if you have an area that does not get any, it's probably not a good choice for you. Now, what would be a good choice for a shaded patio north-facing? You know, it depends on what you want to do there, but things like Arabian jasmine are, are awesome. Star jasmine is a great plant for there. Even some of our tropical bird of paradise and uh, mock oranges and uh, asparagus fern, springer eye fern, meyer eye fern, those kind of plants are going to do really well in a kind of a complete shaded area. Now we get into areas that are completely up under a a covered entryway that are not only shaded, they're just flat dark. And that's a whole nother issue. So again, we talked about somebody with some expertise, that's where you're going to need some help. And sometimes, quite frankly, there's just areas that it's trial and error a little bit. And that's the great thing about plants is they're really not that expensive. <laughs> you know, you, you, you can afford to make a 20 or $30 mistake now and then. It isn't that big a deal. Now, if you're buying a $200 palm, you probably want to make sure that it's going to work where you put it. But if you've got a couple of pots by the front door and you spend 20 30 40 bucks and it doesn't work, you know, we, we, have, we go out to dinner at restaurants and have bad meals that cost $100. So, you know, <laughs> and we do that all the time. So I, I wouldn't sweat the small stuff. Another uh, texter wants to know about uh, what to do about a jasmine plant that suddenly died. One, figuring out what was the cause, and then going back, uh, should they replant that or should they find something else? It's north side of a block well next to a pool, so they don't want it to be too dirty. Well, I guess the, you know, the, that's where it's nice to ask a question back. How long did it do well? Now, if it Ten years. It had been there for 10 years and it suddenly died? Mm-hmm. Then I'd plant another one. You know— you got 10 years out of the sucker. It, again, it cost maybe 25, 30, 40 bucks, even if it was 100 bucks. And it lasted you 10 years. We've got dishwashers and washing machines that don't last 10 years and they cost thousands of dollars. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, 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 if you liked it and it did well there for 10 years, I'd just plant another one. What are some other good vines around a pool? Are there. You know, Tangerine Beauty Cross Vine is a great one. Um, it'll tolerate a fair amount of shade, although it needs bright light and enough, and it'll certainly take full sun. Really good one. Pretty clean. Clings to the clings by itself, so it doesn't get real wild and crazy growing out away from a, from a wall. So that that's certainly one I would consider. Tangerine. Tangerine Beauty Cross Vine. Cross Vine. Long name, but it's a great vine. Pretty easy to find. Yeah, generally. Yep. Should, Most nurseries be. will have that. They should, yes. Fruit trees. This is the time. In fact, next week uh, I'll be live for this Outdoor Living Hour at the Great American Seed Up uh, going on at the uh, North Phoenix Baptist Church. If you are looking for uh, fall gardening, that's that's worth the drive to get there. Yeah, so... 
fall vegetable gardening, fall seeds. You talked about fruit trees. This is a great time. The only the only problem with finding fruit trees, citrus is pretty easy to find in the fall. And it's a great time to plant citrus. Um, but deciduous fruit trees, this is a great would be a great time to find them. But unfortunately, the the selection and the supply of deciduous fruit trees is generally not as good this time of year as it would be in the spring. But boy, this is it's just the best time to plant. We've got cooling air masks cooling soil, less stress on the plants. The soil is relatively warm and going to stay warm for a while. And we can and we can get these plants rooted, established, and for ne- come next spring, next March or April, they're just going to jump out of the ground. Let's get to, I'm going to make sure, let's see, doing a time check here. We're going to bring in how do you how do you pronounce that? I don't know. Burl? Burl and Scott. Burl, B-Y-R-L. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Good morning, sir. Good, good morning. I, I have a problem. I have three hibiscus plants. And up till three weeks ago, they just looked beautiful. And all of a sudden, they started dying. What's happening to them? They're not in the same area, and everything around them seems to be doing fine. Typically, what we see with hibiscus late summer is probably root rot or or... They're just collapsing due to stress, due to the high heat, the high nighttime temperatures, and and hot soil that's probably stayed too wet. That that would be my first guess as to what's going on. And that's pretty easy to recover coming into the fall and just well, once plants collapse. I mean, the problem with root rot or 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 the associated diseases that that kill a plant because of of that is that it's generally once you know you have it, the plant's dead. Mm. Uh, the plant has collapsed and it's and it's gone, um, and you know replanting is really your only your only substitute. Hibiscus like really good drainage. Uh, they they don't like to stay terribly wet. Uh, they can do relatively well here if you've got the right spot for them. The the heat they don't really mind so much, but when they stay too wet and then over that just accumulates. And along about usually August or early September is when we see root rots in general manifest themselves. We appreciate the call. Sorry to hear about your problems with your hibiscus. Good luck on the recovery. It's fall. There's events going on just about every corner of the state right now. We're going to jump out to Chuck in a truck. Who's it? (laughs) Junk in the trunk. Good morning, Chuck. Well, good morning, folks. Good morning, Romy and all. Yes, it's uh, it's a market of sorts. Uh, they call it a vintage market, and the company name is Junk in the Trunk Vintage Market. Uh, it's out here at the Westworld uh, facility in the big, large air-conditioned building. I have never seen so many items. I mean, if I made a wild guess, there's got to be a million items, and they can be small and up to furniture or ladders. Uh, I saw uh, silver platters. Uh, clothing, uh, jewelry, I mean, just unbelievable amount. So now's the time to get out here. You can get in for uh, $8 uh, at the uh, gate, $5 for parking, and it's uh, all day today till 4 p.m. Uh, you can even uh, rent uh, uh, little baskets that you can haul because people are carrying out tons of stuff. So it's going to be here all day today and all day tomorrow, the same hours, 9 to 4, and uh, it's it is quite an event. I've had people make appointments with me because, you know, it's Pella. Pella Windows and Doors. We we need people to come over, see me, sign up, and I've got that gold and discount ticket to hand out for people who come in and make appointments. 
So uh, it's it's just really cool. Well, that's uh, Mr. Chuck McCracken. We call him Chuck in the Truck because he's all over the great state of Arizona, just about any event you can find with the Pella display booth. But uh, have you picked out one particular item that you've got your eye on from this vintage fair? Well, I'm a car guy, and uh, I've had collectible cars, and I saw one of those little pedal cars. It's just across the way from me, and I'm hoping no one buys it. So I'm, I got my eye out on it. <laughs> There you go. (laughs) Folks, we don't want you to make a decision on your windows until you've talked to Chuck out today at the Junk in the Trunk Vintage Market at Westworld. It's 9 to 4 today and tomorrow. It's a shopping experience like no other. It brings hundreds of artists together to showcase unique vintage and handmade items. Admissions, 8 bucks. You get there and you find the big yellow Pella flag and the booth with all the window displays and go see Chuck. He'll have a free giveaway waiting for you and a special golden discount off your total Pella window or door project. Financing is available. I've been a fan of Pella for years. This is a great opportunity for you to become a fan of Pella. Get out to the junk in the trunk vintage market. Find Chuck and don't make a decision on your windows until you've reached or received a quote from Pella. We talked earlier in the program about battery-operated lawn tools. When we were at the National Hardware Show, we had a great opportunity to visit with Briggs & Stratton and their line. And it's this 72 or 82-volt battery that operates four different units. It operates a lawnmower, a chainsaw, a hedge trimmer, and a weed whacker. Walked into A to Z equipment this week. I saw they had a display out for steel. And when we were talking about that, a gentleman named Jim who works for MDT. Are you familiar with them? I don't know that no. that one either. But he wants to see about sending us the Troy built has a oh. lithium battery power line okay. now too that they're going to have us do a product test on. So and I think uh, I, I like just not having to mess with the – Constantly having to keep the gas fresh and your two-stroke mi- two Or if you like electric, and- having a cord, you're dragging a cord around all over the place. And they, mm. you know what cords? They get tangled and knotted and caught on stuff. And, you know, you're limited as to where you can go with it. And there's a lot of upside to it. Plus, they're a lot quieter. You're not putting out air, you know, mm-hmm. uh, air pollution and all the other things that are associated with that. So I... Th- I think it's it's if they can get the technology where those batteries aren't so heavy, and they last long enough, and and obviously have a you know the ability to be recharged a lot of times, I I think it's a pretty smart way to go. Well, I didn't didn't use it, but playing with it in the booth, the the way they weighted the battery with the lawn of the Briggs and Strat was just about a perfect balance but on it was the nicely weed balanced, yeah. But again, I I I haven't gone into practical uh, use application. Yeah. Let's get to Tina. You need to just go buy one so we can find out. Yeah, I know they're not that much. <laughs> I'd say it's four hundred for the mower and the battery, and then after that, it's only about two hundred for every product after that. So yeah. over a six month period of time, it's not. I a think Bermuda grass would be a good test for that mower. It would be interesting to see if it's got enough oomph to get the Bermuda to get through Bermuda. But yeah, if it can, boy, it'd be awesome. Tina and Gilbert, welcome to the program. Hi. Um. 
I'm having a problem with a queen palm. Um, it's about 10 feet tall, and um, the fronds are yellow. There's one frond that's a little bit green, but the others are still yellow. And I really don't know what type of fertilizer to use or okay. Well, you and you and just about everybody else that has a queen palm has or will have a problem with them. Um, you know, they just they're just not that well suited to here. Uh-huh. Um, they need lots of water, and you want to fertilize it with a with a palm tree type food. And manganese, in particular, is the trace element that we want to make sure they're they're heaviest in. Okay. Not not mag not magnesium manganese. M a g a n e s e. M a n mang m a n g a n e s e. Okay. Okay. Manganese. Okay. Uh, and that should be in a palm food, or you can buy manganese by itself. The other thing you'll want to do is maybe add some gypsum, or some soil sulfur, or a product called alkaliche. Anything you can do to kind of buffer the the salty alkaline soils. They don't like that too well, and they don't like hot, dry heat. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you end up spending a lot of money to try and turn it around. You could probably go buy a better-suited palm. Yeah, what, <laughs> what here, would you so. suggest? Well, Canary Island date palm is, is a great one, kind of the similar height. It gets a much fatter trunk. It spreads out more. Mediterranean fan palm is another really good one. Uh, there's a palm they're, they're, they've had really good success with that looks probably about as close as you can get to a queen palm called a mule palm, like okay. like a pack mule, mule uh-huh. palm. Yeah. Um, that would be a that would be a good one. Okay. Um, uh, no tree land uh, has kind of been working and trying to develop a lot of those. So mule palm might be something to check into. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all the information um, that you give us through uh, Rosie on the house. I love you guys, and I listen to you every Saturday, and you've been a big help. Thank you. Thank you. Let's see if we can squeeze Sally in just before we wrap up this hour. Wants to talk about uh, snails in her landscape. Good morning, Sally. (laughs) Hello. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Little little glitch here. How are you doing, Sally? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Good. I've got these little snails. Um, They they look like an ice cream cone. Little little bitty thing. Uh huh. Sure. And they are just, you know, rampant in this uh, flower bed. Okay. Killed all the plants that were in the front. As I pulled the plants up, they're just all yeah together underneath there. What do I do to kill them without having to put a bunch of chemical stuff? Well, you know, there's a couple things you can do. Some people will put a pie tin full of beer out there, and uh, that'll attract them. And, of course, then they fall in the beer and get marinated. Then you can throw them in the skillet. No. <laughs> a little garlic and butter, and there you go. But uh, a little pie tin full of beer will get out there. Other than that, there are some there are some pretty good snails. A diatomaceous earth would would be a good way to go if you want something totally non toxic. Scatter it around as they crawl through it. It slices them up, and they dehydrate and dry out and die. Mr. Jay Harper of Farms Choice, we appreciate your yes, time sir. in with us this Saturday. Always a pleasure. Had fun. Next Saturday, during the Outdoor uh, Living Hour, I'll be live at the Phoenix Baptist Church for the Great American Seat Up. You can get t- 
tickets at rosieonthehouse.com. I believe it's buy one, get one free for the Saturday, Friday, Saturday event. Coming up next, it's open line hour. If you've got a question about your house, home, castle, or cabin, jump on the line, one 767 4348